Well, good morning. Hope everybody's doing all right. And uh, just a couple of announcements. First is on Christmas Day, we will be having service here. And it's going to be at 9.30 and 11. You do not need to sign up for any one of those times. Just go through your morning and, you know, if your kids wake up late, ha, ha, ha. You can come to 11 o'clock service. If they wake up early, come to the 9.30 service. I feel like if we um, are going to have Easter Sunday, we should have Christmas Sunday when, we, when it's on Christmas. So, um, yeah, so we'll have a good time here. Um, <clears throat> worshiping our Savior, which is the reason for the season. I know a lot of you have, like, family stuff going on and, and things like that, but um, I would encourage you just to take some time to go to church on Christmas Day. Uh, we get to do it, you know, very rarely on Christmas Day, but I think you should take advantage of that. And after all, he is the reason for the season. So even if you're out of town, I think you should find a church that's open and go there and, and worship the Savior on Christmas Day. So anyway, there you go. Second announcement is on the 18th, at um, 4 o'clock and 6 o'clock, we're having our Christmas worship service. Now, for that, I would like you to sign up <clears throat> for that one. Um, there's a lot of guests that come. People invite grandma, grandpa, and, and you know their families to come. So I'd like you to sign up at either 4 or 6. You can do that on the app, or we'll be sending out texts this week where you can press the link and sign up for that. Now, I know some people say that they... They're not going to come so that they will sacrifice their seat for someone else. That is wrong, okay? Don't do that. We want you to come and worship with the family, and um, you just sign up, and we'll take care of the rest, all right? Sign up, come, and we'll make sure there are chairs here for, for people. All right, that's it. I think that's all the announcements, but very important, very important. Um, today, the title of the sermon is 11 Pipers Piping. Turn to your neighbor and say, 11 pipers piping, 10 lords of leaping, nine ladies dancing. Okay, we'll stop. Okay. So it, it's, uh, it's, it's 11 pipers piping, and uh, Snoops will tell you that this is wrong, but I don't know if they really know everything. Um, the 12 days of Christmas has been used throughout the years for certain religious uh, truths. For instance, what is the first one? It's um, partridge in a pear tree. It's Jesus Christ, okay? And uh, you have five golden rings, which is the first five books of the Old Testament, the Pentateuch. You have the four calling birds, which is uh, Matthew, Mark, Luke, and John, which is the Gospels. And so there's, there's things that connect to that song. And whether or not it started that way or not, people later on attached those particular values to those particular days. By the way, the 12 days of Christmas really doesn't start until Christmas Day, and then it's 12 days until that you, you know, observe Christmas. So you get gifts on December 25th, gifts on December 26th, 27th, 28th, 29th, 30th, and at this point, every kid in the room is like, yeah, yeah, we should do that, right? And then you go through all 12 days, and then the day after the 12, 12th day of Christmas, we celebrate the wise men coming to worship Jesus, who they didn't go to the stable to worship. That is just my plug for the season. If you have a um, manger at home that have, has the wise men in it, you need to remove them. It is biblically incorrect. Just remove them, get them out of the way, put them in the east. They are not here yet. 
but that's the 12 days of Christmas. It is Advent on the church calendar that prepares you for Christmas, and then there's 12 days of celebration of Christ's birth. So, so there you go, 11 Piper's Piping. Um, this is a meme that I picked up on this week as I was doing research for this. Whoever has given me 12 days of Christmas as my secret Santa, please stop. I can't take it anymore. My cat killed a turtle dove. The French hens have started pulling out my hair to make a nest. Please stop. <laughs> well, good. Um, I um, have been doing my devotions this week out of Genesis chapter 15. And um, I have actually stumbled across something by doing those devotions. And I just wanted to share with you what that is before we move on. On the left-hand side, it's the list of the people from Adam all the way to Noah. And I went and looked up each one of their names and what their names meant. Because in the Old Testament, names have a definition. And so I put them together, and it actually makes two sentences, okay? Man appointed mortal, mortal sorrow. The Most High God shall come down declaring that his death shall bring the despairing rest. Is that not incredible? In Genesis chapter 5. It's pretty Pretty cool. Man appointed mortal sorrow, the most high God shall come down declaring that his death shall bring the despairing rest. And I asked God to let me preach on that, but he didn't let me. So, so there you are. So with that in mind, I want you to turn your Bibles to Matthew chapter 10. Matthew chapter 10 is where we are. And the 11 pipers piping are actually the 11 faithful apostles. So that's what we're going to talk about today, the 11 faithful apostles. And we'll start reading Matthew chapter 10, verse 1. And it says this. And he called to him his 12 disciples and gave them authority over unclean spirits to cast them out and to heal every disease and every affliction. And just pause there a moment. The 12 people that we're going to talk about today are chosen to do a job. And... He gives them stuff. He gives them authority over unclean spirits to cast them out and to heal every disease and every affliction. I wish, being chosen of God, I wish that I had that last part, to heal every disease and every affliction. There are people in this church that I wish I could show up at their house and touch their bodies and cure them of cancer. That would be awesome. There's another man in this church that this week is getting a pacemaker. I wish I could just go to his house, touch him, and heal him so he wouldn't have to have that pacemaker. So his heart would, would come back too. And that would be thrilling for me. Very thrilling for them, right? So it, to be sent out and do this is absolutely amazing that Jesus gave his apostles these particular gifts. Now, he gave them authority over unclean spirits to cast them out, to heal every disease and every affliction. Um, that's precisely what he has been doing, Jesus has been doing up until this point. So what Jesus is saying here is that I'm not going to be the only one that's going to do this. I'm going to pass this on to my apostles so that they can do this as well. So I can branch out the ministry, so I can uh, get my message that I came here to give to more people than I can just preach to. And so he sent them out two by two. That is a pretty incredible verse. And then he lists these people. The names of the 12 apostles are these. First Simon, who's called Peter. And Andrew, his brother. 
By the way, Andrew was the first person to follow Jesus. Um, though he's second in this list, he was the first one to follow. So this is in an order of when they were called. Andrew, his brother, James, the son of Zebedee, John, his brother, who is also a son of Zebedee, Philip and Bartholomew, <clears throat> Thomas and Matthew, the tax collector, James, the son of Alphaeus and Thaddeus and Simon, the zealot and Judas Iscariot, who betrayed them. Now, my personal favorite is Philip um, in this whole list. I think, I think that name should jump out on the page you know, and it be in everybody's mind. But this is 12 people that we, we all are very familiar with, especially if you have uh, read through the Gospels. So what did Jesus do? Well, this is what he did. Number one, he sent them out from a base to the world that they were to reach. In other words, Jesus had them all together. He taught them things. He prepared them, and then he sent them out into the world to do his mission, to do his vision. And this is the vision that God had for them that he also has for you and I. It is to proclaim the gospel message and the kingdom of God to people in the community to invite them to begin a relationship with Jesus Christ, their Savior. And then after they begin that relationship with Jesus Christ, their Savior, we disciple them in that faith. That is our mission. That is what Jesus wants us to do. That's what we have been chosen to do. And that's precisely what these 12 apostles went out to do. Yes, they were doing miracles, but the miracles were, was not really the main thing. The main thing was the message that the Messiah was here, the kingdom is here, and you can get to know him in a very personal way. And so Jesus sent them out from a base to the world they were to reach. Your base is here. This is where you come each week to get encouragement so that you can go out into the world and present the gospel to people. Because the thing that will change the world is the gospel of the Lord Jesus Christ, not the next thing that is voted in in our government. And so we, we go out and we try to bring people to the knowledge of the Lord Jesus Christ. That is what we do. So Jesus sent them out from a base from a base to the world. Second, the mission wasn't over when they returned from their first assignment. This is so important. The mission was not over when they returned from their first assignment. A lot of churches think that their best days were in their, are in their past. And I'm not making fun of anybody I'm just going to talk about this a minute. A lot of churches talk about what we did in the past, and they say, do you remember when? Do you remember when? Do you remember when? Do you remember when? And some churches even take those events and put them in a historical book, and they spend a lot of time doing all that, and then they pass that historical book out. And they seem to be stuck in what they did years ago rather than think about what they need to do for Jesus today and in the future. You see, I think it's great to remember what happened in the past, but if that is all you are doing, you are not going for the vision that Jesus Christ has called you to be a part of. You are not doing that vision. And so the vision is reach the entire world with the gospel. 
Reach the people in your community with the gospel. Be active about it and do new things and do some things that you know have worked in the past and you bring them to the forefront. But you're constantly moving forward. Jesus wants you not to always remember the past, but to be focused on the future that you have and that other people could have that future with you. Does that make sense? So the mission wasn't over when they returned from their first assignment. You see, this Christmas season, we worship a baby in the manger. And that's awesome. We should do that. We also remember that that baby was born to die. And so we have communion because Jesus said that we are supposed to remember his sacrifice. So the bread and the wine. We remember that that is the reason he came. We also remember that he rose from the dead. And he did those two things in order for the world to have a relationship with him. He died on the cross, shed his blood for the forgiveness of sins. He rose the third day so that we can have life in him. And that is our message. But it's not, he doesn't want us to just hang out in a memory of a baby that's no longer in a manger, a, a savior that's no longer on a cross, and a savior that's no longer in the empty tomb. What he wants us to do is take those memories and share that story with the world so that it will change their lives. And the mission isn't over until you're dead. Come on. The mission isn't over till you're dead. And you go for it, you go for it, you go for it, you do it, you do it, you do it, and you try your best not to be stuck in the past. We all have a future, and that future should include the mission that Jesus has called us all to do. All right? Number three, here we go. Some of them had already brought people to Jesus. Like before they were sent out in, in chapter 10, they brought people, they were already bringing people to Jesus. For instance, my favorite, Philip, brought a guy named Nathaniel, or Bartholomew. He had two names, right? He brought him to Jesus. Now, we do not know much about Bartholomew. We do not know much about Nathaniel. They're the same person. We hardly know anything about them other than the fact that they were part of the 12 apostles. But Philip brought him to Jesus. So that was kind of a nobody in the group of 12. Kind of weird to say that there were nobodies in the group of 12. That there were nobodies that we really know. You know what I mean? Like they were nobodies, but they were somebody, right? I'm not quoting a song. I'm just saying, right? I'm just saying that, okay? So, so here that is. But Andrew, the guy that was first called, brought Peter to Jesus, right? And we all know Peter. We're like, yeah, we know a couple of things that Peter did, right? Peter walked on water. Nobody here has walked on water. You may have been dating somebody that you thought could walk on water, and then you got married, and you realized they sink. That might have happened, right? But, but we, we know that he walked on water, and that's a pretty amazing sort of thing, right? Peter is the one that, that preached that first message in Acts and started the church with the rest of the 11. None of the other 11, we don't know anything about what they preached on that particular day, but it was Peter that was the leader. Peter is very decisive. He was either decisively right or decisively wrong, right? But he was decisive, and it almost seems like Jesus would prefer people to be decisively wrong as long as they're decisive and he can correct it. Rather than not making any decision to follow Jesus and just kind of set in the back 
right, and in the shadows and never make a decision to do anything, Jesus prefers his followers to make decisions and move forward. And when they do, even if it's the wrong thing, he will correct them and put them on the right course because he loves what you're trying to do. You and I need to be decisive Christians, decisive. And so Andrew brought Peter to Jesus. And this is what Andrew says as he presents Peter to Jesus. He says, Peter, this is Jesus Christ, the Messiah. And Peter remembered that because when Jesus later asked, who do people say I am? Peter says, you are Jesus Christ, the Messiah. He got that from brother Andrew. It's pretty cool, isn't it? So we bring people to Jesus, and we teach people who Jesus is. So some of them had already started to do this before Jesus sent them out for the very first time. They were already active. I would submit to you this morning that it's easier for God to use somebody that's already active for him than someone that is stagnant on the side. Right? It is easier to get that person into something greater. He's trying to get this person over here to get motivated, to like quit eating a lot of sugar and going to sleep, right? He's trying to get them out to eat the meat and go forward. He's trying to get them started, but the people that are started, he actually just moves them up the ladder, if you will, to give them more responsibility, and that's, that's a pretty cool thing, okay? So that was what, number three, right? It's number four. Ministry in the New Testament is always as a team. There's only one person that's ever lived on this earth that could do it all. And he hasn't been here for 2,000 years. He's here in spirit, hasn't been here in 2,000 years. Everybody else, it was a team effort. And even with Jesus, he selected a team to help him out, didn't he? So in the New Testament, ministry is always a team. As a member of Farmington Baptist Church or as a member of the body of Christ, you are on a team to do great things for God, to achieve the vision that he has called us all to do. You, everyone in this room that has received the Lord Jesus Christ as, as their Savior is called to do something for Jesus. We all are, and we do it as a team. This should be no secret in here. I do not do everything in the church. You might argue that maybe I do a little more than I should do. That could be a good argument that you could do, that you could have. Um, I'm still going to do those things because I'm hard-headed. But nonetheless, we are all a team, right? There's people teaching the children right now. There's people teaching Bible study right now. There's people over in the next building. Some people are being trained to do children's worship, and some people are teaching children's worship at this moment. So every Sunday, there's a lot of people that make things work in, in this uh, location. In the back, we have a tech team. We had a worship team up here. All of that is the team for Jesus doing something here for him. So in the New Testament, it was at, at a, as a team. And even now, you and I should do things as a team. We can do more together than we can do alone. And Jesus knows that. So ministry in the New Testament is always a team. What number is the next one? Five. Thank you. The enemy is almost always in the group. 
enemy is almost always in the group. And let me give you a little secret. You'll like whoever it is. You'll like them a lot. In fact, you might trust them with your money. You trust them so much. Like you, you say, yeah, a trustworthy guy, he's a great guy. Let him handle the money over here. Yeah, you might trust him that much. The reason I'm saying money is because Judas is part of the 12 that were sent out by Jesus. He was chosen by Jesus. And everybody liked him. Now, I know the writers in Scripture wrote this about him in verse 4. Simon the Zealot and Judas Iscariot, who betrayed him. Because after he betrayed Jesus, nobody liked him. Nobody at all. But before, nobody knew that Judas was going to betray Jesus. Everybody accepted him just like they accepted everybody else in the 12. He was an enemy that was in the group. And ladies and gentlemen, listen, there's always, almost always, enemies in the group. And you will like them until they reveal themselves as the enemy. Or you will join their cause and not realize that they're the enemy until it's too late and damage has been done. Right? So I hope you don't like me that much. Come on, that was good. I hope you don't like me that much. I really do. You, you, the... You have to be, we, we're not careful, but we always have our eyes open. And once a person turns from being supportive to sour, that is the moment that you must realize that person is now working for somebody other than Jesus. Come on. Come on. It's, it's what's happening. Now, currently, I, I don't know where the enemy is in the church. But I know that he is active in some way. In the church, he always has been. So the enemy is almost always in the group. Keep your eyes open. What number are we on? Six. Your mission has boundaries. Your mission has boundaries. You notice verse 10, it says, He called him, his 12 disciples, and gave them authority over unclean spirits to cast them out, to heal every disease and every affliction. If you notice there, they were limited in some of their healing abilities. Like they could not raise anyone from the dead for instance. And if you think it through, there were certain things that they could not do. So they were so Jesus was very restrictive with the gifts that he had given them. It's kind of the same way now, isn't it? I have a certain set of gifts and I have a certain there are certain gifts that I don't have. So I'm restricted by Jesus with what he's called me to do, but he has given me everything I need to do what he's called me to do. Does that make sense? And so that's a boundary. What he gives you, the tools he gives you, is often a boundary. For instance, if you can't sing, we would appreciate it if you didn't. Lead worship. We like those singers in the audience. But if you do have the gift of singing, like you have a good voice, then we want you up here. If you, you, you can sing, you know, right? I grew up in a church where people would say, um... Well, his heart is right. Yeah, but his voice doesn't match his heart. So let's put his heart somewhere else, right? Let's put his heart somewhere else. You might say that to me when I sing, but that's okay. Just don't tell me. I don't want to know. But you might, be, you might be restricted because of your giftedness, or you're restricted to where you could go. If you read 
uh, verses 5 and following of this passage of Scripture, you'll find out that they could only go to a certain place, and then they had to come back. So they were not able to go into all the world with the gospel. They were just able to go into a certain location, and then they were supposed to come back. He also told them that if you go to a village and they don't accept you, wipe off the dust off your feet and leave that village alone. In other words, if they reject the message, you leave and go somewhere else where they are receiving the message. So he gave them that restriction. So don't just hang around and because you like them, just continue to give the gospel over and over and they continue to reject, reject, reject. Go somewhere else. The time is too short to mess around with people that's going to reject their entire life anyway. So go somewhere else and do that to where people are receptive for it. That's what he was doing here. So you and I have boundaries as well. Currently, our boundary is very easy. It's Davie County. It's Forsyth County. It is Yakin County, right? That is, that is our area. That is where we have church. That's where we are drawing from. And God has brought a lot of people here for us to minister to, and we should continue to do that. We should work within our boundaries and our boundaries only. This also means that we are called to... I'm glad you found that on the web, Siri. This also means that we are called to do a particular thing, and there's a lot of good things that we will not be doing because we're not called to do them. Someone else is. It is a team after all, right? So other people do other things, and we do the things that God has called us to do, and we move the ball forward. We, we go toward the vision of, of sharing the gospel with everybody that we could possibly share before Jesus comes back. So your mission has boundaries. What number are we on? Seven. Jesus gave them everything they needed to do. Jesus gave them everything they needed to do what he wanted them to do. That does not make any sense, does it? And nobody pointed that out from the first service. They are so kind, aren't they? Yeah, yeah, to do what he wanted them. See, what is needed here is a comma. A comma right there after needed, then I wouldn't have got, yeah. So, good. Jesus gave them everything that they needed to do what he wanted them to do. And he's done the same thing for you. He is already giving you the gifts that you need to do what he wants you to do. He's already done that. So that person that you want to witness to, he's already giving you the gifts to witness to them. That ministry that he wants you to do, he's already given you everything that you need to do that ministry. What number are we on? Eight. Jesus will test your faith when you are on mission for him. Jesus will test your faith. A lot of times, we blame a lot on Satan that actually Jesus has placed into our life as a test of faith. It is not always Satan. Jesus tests our faith from time to time. Let's talk about a couple of these, okay? My, this is number eight, right? Good. Um... Does everybody remember the feeding of the 5,000? Everybody remember that story? Great story. We know there's more than 5,000 people. They had been there for a long time. They were hungry, and Jesus felt compassion for the crowd. And so it was like, okay, who around here can cook? What do we got, right? 
And so he asked Philip, who's my favorite apostle, he says, Philip, how are we going to meet? How are we going to feed these people? And Philip was like, I have no idea how we're going to feed these people. Listen, I relate to that. Because there's, there's sometimes in ministry where you're like, I know you called us to do this, Lord, but I'm not really sure how we're going to get this done. Early on here, early on, um, Givens is a lot better now, but early on when I was here, I was wondering how we were going to keep the, the lights on during a given month, right? And so I was asking, I don't know how you're going to do this, Lord, but I know you're going to do it. Somehow you're going to supply this need. And he was always faithful, always faithful. So Jesus tests your faith. So he asked Philip, he says, hey, how are we going to feed these people? And then Andrew, who was the first one called, he brought up these loaves and these fishes. It wasn't enough. And he said, this is all we got. And he gave them to Jesus. And then Jesus took the loaves and the fishes. He took the bread and he started breaking it. And as he was breaking it, he was creating food. I want you to think about that a minute. Now there's 11 drummers drumming. <laughs> Thank you. All right, where was that? Okay, Jesus would test your faith. Yeah, okay, so Andrew brings his fish, and he was, he was breaking the bread, and at the same time, Jesus was creating food. Now, I never understood this, loved her, but the lady that taught me in Sunday school said that he also broke the fish, that she would break the fish like it was a piece of paper. And in, in my mind as a kid, I'm like, you can't do that. This woman has never fished in her entire life. She's never cut a fish. You can't break a fish. Do you know what? You can't break, right? You might be able to pull some of the meat apart, but you're not going to be able to break. So I think he had a knife or something that he was cutting it up with. Maybe it was dry. Maybe. I think he cut it up. I'm going to continue with that. So he cut it up and he passed it out. And these fishes, these two little fishes, were able to feed a lot of people because he just kept breaking it apart. And then there's 12 baskets left over of food because in that moment, he created food for the people on the spot. Same God that threw stars into outer space and made you and me created the food that they needed to eat in that moment. And that is an amazing thought. So they were tested. They were tested in that particular thing. The last guy, the last apostle I want to talk about that was tested was Thomas. Thomas was with Jesus, very faithful, loved Jesus, saw Jesus die on the cross, and he had a crisis of faith. So he's like, oh, he's dead. He wasn't who I thought he was going to be. And then a, a ten of the apostles, his friends kept telling him, Jesus has risen, Jesus has risen, we have seen him. And Thomas is like, I will not believe that 
until I can touch his hands and touch his feet where the holes are. And Jesus appears, and then Thomas believes, right? So Thomas's faith was tested because his faith seemed like maybe he had just trusted in somebody that he shouldn't have trusted in, right? I think it's interesting, and I wrote this down, if Thomas were here today, this is what he would say to us. The answer to all your doubts are found in Jesus, even if Jesus is the one you are doubting. Come on. Yeah. So that was tested. All right, so number nine. Your value to Jesus is never determined by your failures. Your value to Jesus is never determined by your failures. Now, I know that you think I'm going to go to Peter, and I am, but that's not the first person. The first person I'm going to go to in the apostles is Matthew, who was a tax collector who everybody, everybody thought was irredeemable, like couldn't be redeemed. He was a tax collector. He was the worst of the worst. He worked for the Roman government, and he was also a Jew. In fact, he had Matthew was his Greek name, and Levi was his Hebrew name, and they called him Matthew because they didn't like the fact that he was working for the Roman government getting taxes for them. He was the worst of the worst. And Jesus' value of Matthew was greater than his job position. It was greater than all the thoughts of everybody around him that thought he was worthless. It was greater than that. His value was greater. And Jesus' value of Matthew was not determined by the fact that he was a tax collector and the worst of the worst. He called him to be an apostle, and Matthew followed. Because everybody is redeemable. Everybody. It doesn't matter what you've done. It doesn't matter if you knew you were doing it wrong or you didn't know you were doing it wrong. Jesus Christ values you enough to redeem you anyway. You are more to him than just the mistakes that you have made. Come on. So that's Matthew. Now, Peter denied Jesus. And we know Peter that he denied Jesus. And Jesus valued Peter more than his mistake in that denial. And he called him back to feed his sheep. His sheep. Sheep is plural, right? Commas, sheep. You get it all here. Send your kids to school for grammar. I'll take care of everything else, all right? So <laughs> your value to Jesus is never determined by your failures. Never at all. And even if you've made a mistake while you've been walking with Jesus, Jesus is more than willing to take you back. More than willing. You are more valuable than that. And this is number 10. You matter. You matter. There are three of these apostles we know nothing about other than the fact that they were with Jesus. And those three are um, James, the son of Zebedee, John, his brother, uh, no, we, we know about it. Thomas, wait, I'm sorry, James, the son of Alphaeus, Thaddeus, and Simon the Zealot. We know nothing about them, nothing at all. James, the son of Alphaeus, Thaddeus, Simon the Zealot. But what we do know 
is that they were faithful for Jesus. And they did things. We know that. We just don't know what they did. But we know that they worked for Jesus. We know that in Acts chapter 1 and Acts chapter 2, when Peter was preaching, that they were a part of that. And they went out into the city, and they shared the gospel and the message of the kingdom. And they shared it with people. And many people were saved. We just don't know where they went. We don't know what they did. It was never written down about them. And here's the point. They mattered even though what they did wasn't recorded. Even though what they did was not recognized. And that is a lesson for all of us. If we are living for other people's recognition of what we have done for Jesus, we are living with a wrong purpose. We should be doing things for Jesus because Jesus keeps track of everything that we do. And it should be enough for Jesus to keep a ledger of all of that. That should be enough. And everybody else, it really doesn't matter if they notice what we do or if they don't notice what we do. It just doesn't matter as long as we are faithful to the calling that God has called us to do. So you might be doing something that you feel like nobody recognizes your um, investment in the kingdom of God. Nobody recognizes you for it. You work hard all the time. You try to deal with these kids. You try to, try to give the gospel. You've really tried to do the thing that God has called you to do, and nobody ever recognizes you for it. It is okay. You matter to the one, to the most important person that you can matter to, and that is Jesus. You matter. You matter to Jesus. So here's number 11. We're going to wrap it up. The most high God has come down, and his death shall bring the despairing rest. Jesus Christ came down and was born in a manger. And back in Genesis chapter 5, it was predicted because there was a future. And he came down, was born in a manger. Like I said before and said many times, and it shouldn't get old, he died for the sins of the world and rose the third day so that we might have life. And he did that so that you and I would have a future. We would have admission as a part of that future, we would have a life that mattered as a part of that future. And then one day, Jesus would come back and take us home as part of that future. And that is an amazing thing. And it was planned way back in Genesis. God wasn't halfway through the Old Testament and went, man, I really need to do something to save these people. He didn't do that. He's always had a plan. And the Most High God has come down, and his death shall bring the despairing rest. Now, if you're here today and you've never had a relationship with the Lord Jesus Christ and you just, just, on the inside of you, you just have a lot of despair and you're, you're not at rest, this is the moment that you should come to Jesus and begin a relationship with him. He wants you to have a relationship with him, a one-on-one -on -one relationship. So you ask forgiveness of your sins, you ask him to be your savior, and he will come into your life and be the best friend that you've never had yeah the best friend the best friend that you never had i think i said that right second 
if you're sitting here today and you receive Jesus as your Savior, but maybe you're not on mission for him, today, right now, is the moment that you should pray to God and say, Father, I haven't been on mission for you for a while, and today I'm deciding to be back on mission for you. I'm making that decision today. I know that you've given me all the tools that I need to do the mission, and I'm going to step forward in faith and start living for you and that mission once again. Listen, if I can just tell you the story. I know, I know it scares people to give the gospel to people one-on-one. I know it does. I don't like people I don't know. Okay? Okay. I just don't. It, it's just very difficult for me. It's very difficult. I'm very awkward. Like when I meet somebody new, it's kind of like inside I feel awkward. I don't know if they feel awkward or not. I really don't want to know that because I don't want that to be on my mind. But I feel awkward. I never really know what to say. I'm analyzing the fool out of them to try to figure out who they are you know, all that kind of stuff, but it's very awkward for me to talk to people one-on-one. Now, once I get to know you, I'm good. I'm good. I can talk more than you would like me to talk to you. Like, once I get to know you, you may want me to shut up from time to time, or maybe I'm just quiet and you're talking to me. I'm perfectly fine with all that. Very comfortable with people I know, but people I don't know, I'm very uncomfortable, unless they are in an audience. If they're in an audience, man, it's great. You know, they're out there, I'm up here, you know, it's that sort of thing. I'll make the connection and move on. It's just, I can do this all day long with no problem. But man, one-on-one, it's just, I don't know. It's just really difficult for me from time to time, all the time, to talk to somebody new. It's very difficult. And so I, I get it. I get it. I get the fact that you might be a person that is kind of, it's difficult for you to talk to people one-on-one. That's okay. This is what I know. God has given me everything that is required for me to share the gospel for him. He's given everything to you that you need to share the gospel for him. And all you have to do is start doing it. And do it where you're the most comfortable. Do it with the people you know. I believe that you should get to know people before you share the gospel. So you don't just walk up to them and just share the gospel. I think you walk up to them and begin a relationship with somebody that doesn't know Jesus, and after a while, once that friendship develops, you share Jesus with them because they will know there's something different about you if, you, if you're living correctly. So it's at that point that you share Jesus. And so you introduce them to the friend that sticks closer than you would ever stick to them. They find out about Jesus. So if you're nervous about sharing the gospel and doing the mission, just... You got everything you need. Just do it. Just do it. All right, let's pray. Heavenly Father.